This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Well, good morning, ABC. How are you all today? Are you all okay? Is it hot in here or is it me? It's really hot in here, so I've got security keeping a watchful eye to make sure there's nobody sleeping in church this morning. If you fall asleep, we're going to give you a good prod and a nod uh, to wake you up this morning. So eyes up, look up front. We're going to talk about a big subject this morning. I've changed uh, uh, my message, and I wanted to to bring this uh, message in. I felt it appropriate to. I was going to speak this message in January in the new year, uh, but thanks to what uh, God did through Andrea, last week, I'm bringing this message way up front. The title of this message is, What's the Meaning of Life? What's the Meaning of Life? Pop quiz, everyone. Do you remember the song, What's the Meaning? What's the Meaning of Life? Who sang it? Can you remember? Come on, Ian. It was called Soul to Soul. But the meaning of life, or the answer to this question, is a massive philosophical, spiritual, and significant and practical question that we all want answered, isn't it? About, you know, what's around us? How did we come to be here? What about me? What plan is there for me? What, am I, what on earth am I here for? As I said to you before, my mother pushed me out on the 23rd of March, 1969, and here I am. Okay, I'm just uh, delighted that I'm here. Here I am! But don't we all wonder, why are we here? Why has God given us the gifts that he has given us? What's the meaning of life? And this is a question whether we are uh, people of faith or people of no faith. This is the question that we're all struggling to answer, isn't it? You know, do we believe that we are just like atoms that have been thrown together and it's all, we're all here by chance natural processes or that we were birthed in some primeval soup billions of billions of years ago and they're formed in amoeba. Have you seen the stuff from Mars uh, the last couple of weeks where they're talking there might be life on Mars? Wow! Can you believe that? Yes, I know a few uh, aliens that live on the face of this earth, let alone Mars. But we're all trying to answer all of these questions, aren't we? Or is it just me that wants to know what's the meaning of life? Do you want answers? Oh, I'm thinking of that great film. Can you remember with Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise? Can you remember it? You want answers? I want the truth. You want the truth? Oh, come on, you know better than that. You can't handle the truth. Great film, if you want to get it out. A few good men with that fantastic Jack Nicholson presentation at the end of the courtroom drama because he did order the code red, didn't he? Okay, there we are. What's the meaning of life? Do we want the truth? Why are we here? Or as Christians, we ask a deeper questions. Those of us that believe in God, we ask, what's God's plan for me? What's God's purpose for me? What's God's will for me? Do you want answers? I'm going to give you answers. Do you want the truth? You may not be able to handle the truth. So let's dive into the book of Romans and chapter 12. And we're going to read together from verse uh, 1. We're going to do it in the amplified version of the Bible. Have you heard of the amplified version of the Bible? I woke you all up there. I was just checking. Make sure you hadn't fallen asleep already. The Amplified Bible, and we're going to look at this verse here and what Paul is saying 
to the church in Romans. And he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies dedicating all of yourself set apart. The Amplified Version, the re- it was uh, written in 1965, and the whole purpose behind the Amplified Version is sometimes there's things that are lost in translation in life, isn't there? Isn't there? Like in Wales, we talk about this word, hiraith, don't we? Do you, we all as Welsh people know what hiraith is. Have you ever tried to explain hiraith to an English person? It kind of doesn't fit, does it? You know, you know, a hiraith is like a longing or a yearning for home that is like longing or a yearning for home on steroids. And we, and, and we find it difficult to explain the word. Or the word kutch. How do you explain the word kutch to an English person? It's not a hug and it's not a cuddle. It's kind of like a huggle. Or I, I don't know what it is, but a kutch. Oh, kutch is something nice in it. Oh, a good kutch. Dimbied vel kutch bach. So this amplified version is trying to grab all the tenses out of Scripture because we know that the Scriptures were written in Hebrew and Aramaic and in Greek. And so in 1965, a group of scholars put together the amplified version in order to give us the full text and context of the Scripture so we can understand it better. So it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed that as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Do you see it? The meaning of life. That you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and his purpose for you. How cool is this? So we can look in God's word here and we can answer all the questions about me, why am I here, what am I going to do, who shall I marry, what career should I choose, where will I live, shall we start a family, etc. We can do all of this stuff instead of trying to guess it randomly. We can hook in to God's plan for us. Live in his way and we'll be able to prove what his plan and purpose is for us. How cool is that? Come on, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word tells us it's a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Lord, will you bring your light into our lives this morning? Show us your way. Lead us in your path that we might discover your plan for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Have you noticed, though, when some people are wanting to know what God's plan is for them, They do it totally randomly. Have you noticed? Some people, in fact, when they come to faith in Christ, they take the gearbox of common sense and put it into neutral and just roll down the hill. Have you noticed? So little things like, uh, you know, you're going to buy your dishwasher 
at curries or whatever it is, that they turn into these super spiritual people. Because did you know God officially buys Zanussi? Did you know that? The reason I know that God buys Zanussi, as I remember talking to a woman in church uh, once, this is a couple of years ago, and she came to me, she says, oh, God was good to me today. I said, how was God uh, uh, this week? And I said, how was God good to you this week? I said, well, he helped me buy the washing machine in Curry's. I said, really? I said, yes. I was praying to the Lord. I said, God, guide me. Is it Hot Point or is it Zanussi? <laughs> and guess what? She bought Zanussi. So if you own a Hot Point this morning, I'm sorry, clearly according to that woman, Hot Point is from the devil. And Zanussi is from the very kingdom of heaven. How many of you have got a Zanussi appliance? God bless you folks. Andrea, you can see she's such a spiritual woman. How rubbish is that? Isn't it? I remember talking to someone wanting to kind of find a partner in life. You know what I mean? And she says, oh, you know, I said, so, you know, how are you going about it? I'm frustrated. I can't find a boyfriend. How are you, how are you going about doing it? And she says, oh, I'm praying about it. I said, all right, yeah, we all pray about it. I said, but what are you doing? I said, are you like going out and meeting people? Oh, no, she said, I believe God is going to bring me the one. Bring her the one. She said, all right. I said, how are you doing? She said, oh, that's the biblical way. I said, really? I said, that's the biblical way. I said, well, there's several biblical ways. You can work for seven years and find the rotten one, and then you end up with a good one. Or better still, do it kind of David's way. Go out and club a few people, kill them all, and come and grab the ways for yourself. You could do it. That's the biblical way. Because there's several patterns in Scripture of how we find God's will, isn't it? So I talked to this woman. I said, so where are you? Oh, I'm praying. And I'm into I said, really? You don't have to do anything at all? She says, no, nope, nothing at all. God is going to send me my chosen husband. Fascinating. I said, do you have to go out? Do you have to do anything? No, I believe God will send. So I gave her a piece of advice, which was if she didn't want to marry a Jehovah's Witness or the postman or the bloke from DHL, she needed to find a more alternative way to go and find a partner for her in life than just staying indoors and waiting for God to send it. And what we do in this area of God's will sometimes is we treat it like an Easter egg hunt type thing. Have you done an Easter egg hunt with, with your kids or whatever? You uh, do it around the house, whatever, hide Easter egg, you know, somewhere, right? Okay, where should we put that? We put this under the mat, under the rug. We put one behind the cushions on the sofa. We have got so many cushions on our sofa. I don't know what they're there for, but they're great with Easter egg hunt and you hide on it. And it's as if, you know, the, like the kids go and find the egg underneath the cushions or you know where is it oh it's underneath the dog or you know where they're looking for it it's as if God's will is something that we have to have an easter egg hunt to find and we have to go and do different things with it but today what we're going to learn is that the scriptures give us a logical path a logical process by which to find God's will and plan for our lives now, God sometimes does do the magic of the Easter egg thing. He does the burning bush thing every now and again. He does weird things. How many of you here have ever heard the audible voice of God? Is there anybody here that's been privileged enough? Come on, hands up. Some of you have heard the voice of God. I can't see one hand. I know Pastor Ivion, uh, he believed he heard the audible voice of God. I have never in my life been privileged enough to hear the audible voice of God. In fact, if he did do that, I'd probably be like the shepherds, you know, when the angel appears and says, do not fear. <laughs> I'm thinking, ah! I'd be the person that would kind of have that reaction, I think, if God came and spoke to me. 
But something's happened. You see, if we take God's word, we need to apply it correctly to our lives, his manual for life for us to be able to understand it. And so what God did for us, and the book of Hebrews chapter 1, if you read it, it says, God spoke to us in times past through the prophets. And the prophets would hear from God in that way. And through the prophets, Jesus says that they have spoken to us. But Jesus came, he said, not to break the law, but to fulfill the law. And Jesus Christ led us into a new way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then when he ascended into heaven, he says, tell you what I'm going to do, guys. When I go, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You can call him the comforter. You can call him your teacher. You can call him the one who comes up alongside you to teach you. And I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. And then for us here as 20th and 21st century Christians, we now have the canon of God's word. You see, David didn't have the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to read in the Old Testament, did he? Did he? No. Jesus hadn't given the revelation to John in the book of Revelation then, had he? This chapter that we're reading in Romans chapter 12, Jesus had long gone before Paul writes that. But we have the full canon of Scripture, the full revelation of God today, so that we no longer, if you like, need burning bush experiences. If they happen, great. But what God is calling us to do is to read God's Word, to understand His plan for us, because everything we need to know for the meaning, the world, the life, and everything is in this book. In fact, a greater theologian than myself, Cooper Abrahams, says this. The biblical Christian believes that although God is not speaking or giving new revelation today, He is illuminating His written and preserved Word for believers. Illuminating means that God is giving understanding of the principles of the Bible and these principles are totally sufficient to guide, ma ma uh, guide men in all matters of life in any decisions that believers need to make. Amen? He goes on to say, Now therefore there is no need for further revelation because as the Bible clearly teaches us in 2 Timothy 3.16 and verse 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and given by inspiration of God and is good for correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness that the man of God might be fully built up to every good work. In other words, the Bible is complete and adequate. Adequate. Say Adequate. Say, it's enough. It's enough. And reveals to us all that God wants us to know about him and us. It is vital to understand that because we have the written revelation of God, the Bible, we do not need any current revelation unless he grants it by his grace. The revelation God has given is totally adequate to instruct us in the things of God today. Not having God-given modern revelation in no way means we are lacking anything from God. The Bible is absolute and complete and covers any subject or circumstance a man might encounter addressing matters directly or through guiding principles. Do you agree with that? I totally agree with that. And I thank God for his word that's brought to us today. I thank God for Gutenberg who... Invent, well, 
kind of the, the Western printing press anyway, and started printing Bibles. And people that have translated it so men of every language can get God's Word. And I thank God for people even today in the digital age, digital age, I'm twisting my tongue today, digital age that have made all kinds of apps available for us today to be able to get God's Word, His manual for life into our lives. How cool is that? Okay. So, what are we trying to say? Or what is Paul trying to say when he talks about this path? Romans 12 that we first look at, it starts with this, and the NIV says, in view of God's mercy. Any of you hit the speed bump with a car ever? Any of you a couple of weeks ago saw the new speed bump, or a couple of months ago, saw the speed bump that had been put on the road to Gorslas between Carmel on the top of the hill there? Did any of you hit that speed bump? Yeah, did any of you leave your engine sump and exhaust and everything on it because it was a little bit taller than it should have been? Yeah? There are some speed bumps that we go over that can really impact the car, and there's others that we can go over that just go thud, thud, isn't there? What's the purpose of a speed bump? The purpose of a speed bump is to slow us down. And I love the speed bumps that you can find in God's Word, designed to slow us down. In the, Testament, if you read, in the Old Testament, if you read some of the Psalms, there's a speed bump that's put in there called the Hebrew word selah. It's a musical pause. And what we are supposed to do is when we come to that part, we're supposed to pause like a speed bump, slow down and read it. But there are other speed bumps, and I challenge you this week in your daily reading to try and spot God's speed bumps that he puts in Scripture for you. There's some wonderful, beautiful, biblical, brilliant buts that you can find in God's Word, isn't there? But... Referring to something that's gone before. That's a speed bump. But God, who is rich in mercy. Isn't it? But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. There's loads of them. Therefore. Have you seen the therefores that are in there? Because it's referring to something that's come before. It's a speed bump. He's saying, therefore. Romans 5, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or another one that Paul uses says, seeing. Have you seen it? Notice it? He says, seeing. And all of these are referring to something that's come before. And this is a speed bump. He says, I beseech you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Five words, in view of God's mercy. What's he trying to say? In five words? What's he trying to say? What is God's mercy? God's mercy is encapsulated in God's love for us. And he's trying to say, in view of God's mercy and his love and his compassion and of all that he's done for us, and he gives us this pattern that we're going to look at in a minute. Why does he use five words? I'll tell you why he uses five words. It's very much like seeing, very much like therefore, very much like a but, very much like uh, the speed bumps that we've talked about that are already in God's word. He is referring to the 11 chapters he's already written that come prior. 
So if you want some homework to do this week, go home, read the 11 chapters that I before explaining all of what God has done for us. The book of Romans is, is commonly called by theologians Paul's greatest writing. It's actually called the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. It cons- contains all the theology and teaching and understanding that we need to have to understand the work of Jesus Christ and his, and his plan for us. And he's saying, in view of God's mercy... In view of his love. Point number one of finding God's will for your life is to live in his love. Can we have that next slide up if we can, Lee? Live in his love. You see, we can't overestimate. Uh, some of what uh, Andrea spoke on last week. If you did not get uh, Andrea's message or you weren't in church uh, last Sunday to hear Andrea's message, then can I encourage you to get a podcast and listen to the incredible message. And I'm going to touch on some of it here today. You see, the reason a lot of us are trying to find God's will in our lives or trying to find what the meaning of life is and getting it somewhat messed up is that we are understanding more and more today that the human frame, human nature, we are built for performance. We as human beings, psychologically, are wired for performance. And the problem that we have is when it comes to this area of love, or what Andrea talked about um, last week and helping us understand this psychological principle of secure attachment, What happens is we are always trying to do things to earn someone's love. We try to perform. We try to attain attain things. We try to do stuff in order to earn love. And as human beings, we are for some reason heavily orientated towards this thing called performance. So listen to Andrea's message, A Blessed Relationship. And it's not something that's just written 2,000 years ago that's in God's Word. It's actually something that is designed by God for us that we can understand this. And recently, neurologists and psychologists are beginning to understand this subject of secure attachment and the requirement for love within the frame of a human being more and more. And as usual, the more we discover about the world... Isn't it incredible? The more we discover through science, the more it goes to prove that God's word is true. So what Andrea shared with us last week is that we need love. As human beings, we need to be grounded relationally in secure love. How many of you got babies here? How many of you got, I think, Martin's at the back there. There's Martin and, and Helen, the other one with the youngest baby. Anybody else got babies? You know, we are well aware that what happens with our children, we bring them home after we've, you know, maybe had them, if you've had a home birth, no need to bring them home. You're already there. But something happens for people like myself that went through, or my wife rather, that went through a a hospital birth. You bring the baby home. And Karis came home in 1997. Oh, and I tell you what, when you hold your firstborn in your arms for the first time, what a rush that is, isn't it? There's nothing like it. I looked at Karis, and Karis puked on me. <laughs> and I held her there, and wow. 
and if we took her home and we loved and cared for her and we got up in the middle of the night with big smiles to feed her. <sighs> that first six to eight weeks is a tough gig, isn't it? You know, when you're trying to... And then she's growing and it's lovely and all the kuchy, kuchy, cool face. Remember, they smiling at you and you smile back. You remember that, Luke? Yeah, yeah. smiling at mommy. <laughs> yeah, you remember that, Jake? Yeah, I remember you. You were such a cutie. Hello, Jakey. <laughs> but something happens, doesn't it? Like after about a year to 18 months, have you noticed they turn into terrorists? <laughs> you feed them. And you've watered them, and you've brought them home, and they turn into these horrible, horrible terrorists. And they learn this word, don't they? No. (laughs) That we'll come to in a minute. But the thing is this. Healthy children, as we saw from the video, they can't just feed and water. If you want to raise a terrorist, I tell you, just feed and water the child. Don't give them any emotional support. Don't love them. Don't shower them with all of that secure attachment that they need. And we see this, don't we, sadly sometimes with children that have been institutionalized. And what we know from neuroscience is that in those first formative years, the brain forms differently. So love your kids when they cry, pick them up. You know, just do all that stuff for them to give them a secure attachment that they know that your love is there for them as parents unconditionally. Unconditionally. Because without that, we all have black holes in our brains. And so our behavior as people leads us to do things through performance. That we're always doing things as we grow up in order to gain people's love, in order to earn people's loves. One thing is quite clear, that we know now as human beings and particularly as believers, we know that God has given us his love unconditionally. So we know two things from psychologists today that Andrea covered briefly last week. Number one, that the lack of love and secure attachments affects how we develop. But secondly, and something for me to maybe elaborate on a bit further, is the performance cycle itself as we get older works best when we know that we are loved unconditionally. In fact, did you know this? You can read Patrick Lencioni's fantastic book called The Advantage. He says that if you run an organization or company or you want to get the best out of your people, they need to know that they are secure in your leadership. They need to know that you care for them and that you trust them and that you love what it is they do. And if you want to build a fantastic company or a fantastic organization, love your staff to death and they will perform for you because they know that they are secure under your leadership. Let me ask you a question. Which email works best? In fact, you might be Martin, the guy who had the baby and you've come off work and you've had some paternity leave. And so you come back to work and kind of, it's just life, really. It's the first one you've had. You're struggling with all the schedule. You haven't had much sleep at night. You hit the snooze too many times and the alarm in the morning. And it's now a Friday. And the problem with your Friday in the first week back at work after your paternity leave, first week back and you're late for the third time on that Friday morning. Because you can't be late for work, can you, Martin? No. 
three times you've been late. And so your manager sends you an email. Let me ask you, how do you think if there's an unsecure relationship that he is not confident that the MD or the boss has got care and compassion for him, how do you think he's going to receive this email? Dear Martin, I noticed once again this morning that you were late for work. Full stop. I'd be delighted if on Monday morning, 10 a.m., you could come to my office so we could have a word about it. Full stop. Have a great weekend. Phil, send. What do you think is going to happen to Martin over the course of the weekend? What's he going to do? Sorry? He's going to worry, isn't he? He's going to worry what the boss has got to say. He's going to be worrying what's going on. Oh, no, I've been late. It's the third time. What kind of things are you going to be thinking? Am I going to get fired? Or, oh, am I going to have disciplinary? How much better? Because he works for a really good boss at Carmarthenshire County Council or wherever it is you work. And he's passionate about you. He wants your team and he knows what you're going through. He sends an email that's like this. Dear Martin, I noticed this morning you were late for work a third time again. Dot, dot, dot. Obviously, like me, you're really struggling with coming back to work now you've got new babies and children at home. Return. I'm keen to support you in the role and I want the best for you and you know how valid you, valued you are for this company in all that you do. Would you be free at 10 a.m. on Monday morning to have a cup of coffee with me so we can discuss how we can work together to get you and us performing to the way that we need so that we can go forward positively together. Send. How do you think that email is going to be received? A lot better, isn't it? He's probably going to think a little bit, okay, what are we going to do? But he knows that the boss cares for him. And that's the advantage. That we can perform, whether we are in the role of husband, wife, whatever we do, or even before God himself, in the secure knowledge that God loves, loves us. Let me say something, because we're running quickly out of time this morning. I want to say something to you here, which is the difference between other world religions. I've said this before, and I make no apology for saying this again. Other world religions are about do. We've got to pray and get on our knees three times a day and we've got to do this and we've got to you know, have a rosary and we've got to do all these things. We've got to do, do, do things. Christianity is fundamentally different from any other world religion or faith or belief because it's not about do, it's about done. All have sinned and fall short of the standard that God has for us. But God commends his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He sent his son. So it's no longer, I know I fall short. Do you fall short? I fall way shorter than you. Paul said he's the chief of sinners. But we know that God, through his son Jesus, picks us up. And that's when I'm singing this morning, Majesty, your grace has found me just as I am. When Mike talks about the come-as-you-are church, and you can wear those really uncool flip-flops, I must say, that you're wearing to church this morning, James, that we can come in the secure knowledge that God loves us just the way we are. We come to him and he receives us just the way we are. There is nothing, I'm going to say this twice because this is really good, okay? This is really good, so brace yourself. There is nothing you can do that will make God love you more. 
There is nothing that you can do that will make God love you less. Can I say that again? Because I said I'd say it twice. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make him love you less. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, quickly, I'm going to finish on this point and we're going to push the second point uh, over to uh, a later date when we speak together. What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? We all have different paths to take, haven't we? We're all on different roads together. You're going one way, I'm going on another. Your path might be calling you like it did to Jonah to go to Nineveh. Joppa, Nineveh, whatever. Or your path might be like Nehemiah to go and rebuild Jerusalem. Or your path might be like John the Baptist that's to prepare the way of the Lord. All of us of God's creation have got different paths. Liana has got a path that God has called her to do, hasn't he? Okay, don't stick your bum out like that, but don't you? Thank God God hasn't called me to sing and lead worship, isn't it? Isn't it? So God calls us to do different things for him, both in our spiritual, our physical, our work life, everything. But the path on which we walk is the same for everyone. It's the path of love. And that's why Paul says, faith, hope, love, the faith, hope and love, the greatest of these is love, because it's the path on which we walk. I'll finish by saying just one thing. On this principle that's talked about sometimes in life, for you to have a goal and to have a mission and, you know, what you want to do. And for your organization here, if you run a company or you're involved in management, for you to have a strategic plan on where you're supposed to go, or a plan or a dream for your family, for you and for your kids. Or you're nearing retirement and you're handing your job off or you've just finished a job and you're thinking, God, what's to be for me in this phase of my life? What's your plan for me? I want to tell you that the path for you where you will find God's plan is his path of love. You see, vision is where we are going. Values is how we behave as we get there. Vision is where we are going. Values is how we behave as we get there. So the vision that you have for your life might be different, but the values for all of us will be the same. The vision for this church is specific that we are called to reach the lost, disciple those that attend, and be salt and light. That is the particular vision that God gave to the founders of this church. But how we get there, is built on the values of his love. Well, we could say it, can't we? But what does that look like when we say that we love one another? Well, for us a church, and I'm just going to list a few of them here that hopefully you'll identify with us as a church that we live out. This church is built on the love high value of respect. We believe this is everyone's church. From the youngest to the oldest, this is everyone's church. It's not a church for young people. It's not a church for adults. It's not a church for the retired. It's not the church for the dysfunctional or the functional. It's the church for everyone, and we will respect everyone. It's a church that recognizes and celebrates diversity. Everyone is welcome here, whether you are young, old, black, white, poor, divorced, gay, hurt, rich, 
unsuccessful, successful, professional, unprofessional, employed, unemployed, sick or healthy, you are welcome here because that was, that's what love says. We value humility. We honor one another above ourselves. We're not here for me. We're here for you. We're here to serve. We're here to care. And we're here to love each other. We are high on humor in this church, aren't we? Because <laughs> I tell you what, if you can't laugh at yourself, then you're pretty sad and you need to learn some humility. If you're English and you can't laugh about the wheel coming off the chariot, then I really do apologize. But equally, if you're Welsh and we get a stuffing the next time we play England, can you take it? Can you? Or are you going to be rather insecure in your Welshness? And turn around and say, they were lucky, or it's the referee again. <laughs> Can I remind you that England are still ahead of us by two games in all the internationals, and technically, they're still better than us today, statistically. However, we are still in the World Cup, and we will rejoice in this moment that we have. Generosity. I love the generosity of this church. Monday night that we put ourselves out and we raise for Macmillan, that we're a debt-free church, that you guys give till it hurts. Because unless we give until it hurts, then it's not really giving. It's not really a sacrifice. That we come and we say, God, I'm going to give you the best. I could spend some of this on me, on another sofa, on upgrading the car, but I'm going to put this to work for others so that others might come to know you too. That's the values of where we are as a church. So we'll continue the next time we're together, but can I ask you to just sink into his love afresh today? Can I ask you to do that? To put aside all of that stuff that we carry in life and to step into his love as Andrea's tasked us to do. And there's so many, I tell you what, the preaching that's coming from this platform is just so superb. Luke preached on the armor of God. and was even, I was having that quoted to me by Fionn in the car this week. Hey, how cool is that when someone's sermon is being quoted to you? Isn't it? God's raising up gifts here. God is doing things because these people that are being given the platform and so many of us here are just sinking ourselves into God's love and God's plan and saying, God, here I come, a, wretch a wretched sinner, but you have made me into the son of a king. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I'm secure in your love. So help me, oh God, to put you first in my life, for my family, for my kids, in my work, in everything that I do. May you be first for the sake of your son Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. Shall we thank Pastor Phil this morning? Give us a round of applause. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.